Hey there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. which I actually thought I was going to be delivering a week ago, uh, but uh, Mr. Covid had other ideas about that. Um, so if you weren't here last week and you are here this week, perhaps you really are meant to be here and you need to, to hear this message. But I prepared this message uh, a week ago uh, and I really felt that, that we would, I wanted to get back to some really basic, simple stuff. So I make no apologies for that. Uh, a few uh, years ago now, um, we, we, we had a few kind of different teaching series here at Springs Church. Uh, some of you may remember uh, that we, uh, we did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. That was definitely Robert's school, I remember that. We, we did a, a series also at Robert's about living a generous lifestyle. And then a little bit more recently, we did a series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Some of you may uh, remember that. And uh, actually, what I want to do today, I'm going to touch on all three of those series that we've, we've looked at, uh, because I am going to go back to looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to be looking particularly, though, about what Jesus has to say to us about wealth and Worry. These are really well-known words that we're going to read in just a moment. Um, the reason I'm doing this predominantly is that my current Bible reading plan has fairly recently been taken through Matthew's Gospel. And I've been looking at Matthew again, looking at all the stories uh, in Matthew's Gospel. It's been a real joy to be kind of unpacking the Gospel again. And just a couple of three weeks ago, I was re-reading and looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you may remember this, can I have the next slide, Stone? Um, if any of you have seen films like um, The Greatest Story Ever Told, or possibly even something like The Life of Brian, you've seen images of the Sermon on the Mount. And nearly all of these uh, films depict the Sermon on the Mount a little bit like this. They kind of show Jesus sitting on the top of a mountain and it's normally kind of covered with boulders and dust and it's hot and dry uh, and that's kind of the image that you get. But actually the, the Sermon on the Mount, next picture please sir, this is actually where they believe the, the Sermon on the Mount was preached and uh, it's not actually a dry, uh, dusty, barren place, far from it. It's actually a really quite idyllic setting. So Jesus sat on a hillside. It's quite probable that he sat towards the bottom of the hillside. Because if you actually go to this place, there's almost like a natural amphitheatre. And if you think about it, if you want to address a multitude of people, you're probably not going to stand on the top of a mountain and shout down at them you're probably going to be towards the bottom with a natural amphitheatre of people sitting on each side 
And as the breeze comes off the Sea of Galilee, we carry your words to the, the congregation just listening to you. So it's a really hot day, but I want you to imagine that it's a lovely green hillside, that there's a gentle breeze just coming off the Sea of Galilee. And actually, there's not kind of dry bowls and stuff, but there's flowers and grass. And it's a really, really lovely setting to sit down and receive some nice, gentle teaching. Is that okay? That's the kind of image I want us to get. I want us to get relaxed today and just think about it. And Jesus spoke about so many things in that Sermon on the Mount. But it's about halfway through, he starts to talk to people about materialism and about anxiety. And he's surrounded by this, these beautiful flowers, by this green hillside. Uh, it's a lovely day. Jesus is speaking to me. And uh, these are the words that we, uh, that we read uh, that Jesus said. This is from Matthew chapter 6, and uh, I'm reading from verse 25 for you. So Jesus says to the people as he's sitting down, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than shirts. Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worry, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of business. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For the pagans or the Gentiles run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then I'll just go to the first slide again and start the story. That's it. So Jesus sits down, and we're just going to dig into this really well-known passage just a little bit. We just hear what Jesus has to say about wealth and worry. So he starts by saying, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about what you're going to to where he starts with the word therefore that means that this little passage was linked to the passage which immediately preceded it and in that passage jesus had been talking about treasure and talking about heavenly treasure and earthly treasure and he was saying you must value heavenly treasure more than earthly treasure he was saying that our hearts and our treasure are linked and he he ended up by saying, you can't serve both God and mammon, is the word that's used. Basically, 
You can't serve God and also have a very materialistic lifestyle. And then he asks a question, he starts with a question, he says, is not life more than food and drink and clothing? Well, the answer to that question, I hope it's obvious to you, is of course, yes, life is more than just food and drink and clothing. Life is, of course, far more than material things. But in our current society, and I'm sure the society that Jesus was in as well, we often give far more attention to material things. We get far more concerned about the stuff of life than we really should. And I'm just saying to start with that if you live life with an excessive emphasis on material things, then your life very often will actually end up being filled with worry. The two things are exactly linked to each other. If you're only worried about material things, I reckon you'll have a life of worry. Now I want to make it clear that there is a, a difference between what I've called responsible godly concern and ungodly worry. Okay, there's a difference between responsible godly concern. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. This afternoon, we were on the phone to, to one of our close friends, and uh, she said to Carol, she said, oh, the ABS lights come on my car. Uh, do you think I should do anything about it? What do you think I should do? And, and Carol said, well, I'll ask John. I don't know what to do with that, because I haven't got a clue about lights on my cars. But, but the, the answer was obvious. Yes, actually, the reason that ABS light has come on is that your brakes need looking at. It's lit up. There's a good reason, and it's godly concern to actually check your brakes out. She did then go on to say, well, do you think it's safe to drive to Gordon? Like that? Said, yeah. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. It's only a three-mile journey, you know. Lights don't count unless it's at least ten miles. That's what I reckon. Now, you know, now, sometimes we need to take our godly responsibilities more seriously than we, we, we do. A few weeks ago, I went down to Cornwall. And uh, as I was driving down to Cornwall, uh, my aircon started making a terrible noise. So I did what every sensible person should do. I was on the way to Cornwall. I didn't want to have to stop. So I did two things. I turned the stereo off. Okay? And I put my foot down a bit faster, thinking I'll get there a little bit quicker, just make sure everything's alright. Um, to be fair, I knew it was the aircon, I knew it was this thing going. But then as I was as I was kind of getting down towards it, I thought, well, I don't know much about cars, but I do know a little bit about electricity. And I know that kind of in the natural, if you kind of overload electricity, sometimes it can kind of cause a fuse to blow, kind of. I'm thinking, am I actually putting too much pressure on on this, this fan, I presume it was, in the car. Am I going to cause something else to blow? And is it going to be linked to something more important than the air conditioning? So, the second really sensible thing I did when I got to Cornwall, I knew I was going to be there for two or three days. And I thought, right, I've got to drive back in three days' time. So what I'm going to do now is, I'm going to join Green Flag today, because they have a 24-hour waiting period, I'm not going to be using the car tomorrow, and if when I'm driving back, 
in a couple of days' time, I've caused more of a problem, I've got green flag there. So that was kind of, now it's not a very good illustration of dogs we can serve, is it really? But luckily when I got back, all it was was a bit of a Hollywood for just flipping the paper, nothing, nothing overly important. But what I'm trying to say here is this. It's only right and appropriate that there are certain things in our life that we should have a genuine concern about, the things that we have to take seriously. But we shouldn't ever confuse godly concern with ungodly worry. It's, it's not God's desire for us to have worry. So the light goes on on our car, and the ABS is playing out. We've got to be sensible and have it checked out. But what God doesn't want us to start worrying about necessarily is, oh gosh, I wonder how expensive that's going to be. I wonder if I can afford the repair. Or I bet at the moment, because of the way the things are flowing, Brexit and the pandemic, I bet you that the, the part, the very part I need to fix my car, it won't be there. And, and my car's going to be off the road because, because they can't get the part for it. I'll have to rent a car, I can't afford to do it. And all of a sudden, something that is a genuine concern that we need to treat sensibly becomes a worry. And we're just worrying about, and this is how the brain works, isn't it? That we begin to worry about things that we've got no control over, we have no peace. It's just worry for worry's sake. And Jesus is saying today, do not worry. Do not worry. So I want to ask you, are you excusing ungodly worry by calling it godly responsibility? Are you actually thinking, well, I've got to be concerned about these issues because I'm a, I'm a grown-up person, I'm a sensible person, and I've got to try to take life seriously. Are you actually using that as an excuse to just have a good old worry about business when you're not really meant to be worried at all. But the great thing about this teaching from Jesus is Jesus doesn't just give a command. He doesn't just demand obedience. He doesn't just say, don't worry and that's it. He actually begins to share his heart with the people. He actually begins to say to them, look, this is why I don't want you to worry. And he gives three really good reasons why we shouldn't worry. The first one is this. God said, Jesus says, God's going to provide. He actually says, God will provide for you. Go to the next slide, please, go. He says this, look. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is saying here, God's going to provide for you. So don't worry about food and, and drink and clothing. God provides far much more than our basic needs. In fact, God sometimes provides for us in ways that we, we don't even know that we need any provision. Just um, two weeks ago, I was uh, out of the country and um, I was in Denmark and uh, it was a really, really convoluted journey to get to the place that I was staying. I was there on behalf of the YMCA at the World Council 
And uh, the journey, without going into all of the details, but involved with a, a lift to the station, a train to Birmingham, another train out of Birmingham, and then the monorail, and a flight to a place, a place called Frankfurt, and a massive walk in Frankfurt, and another aeroplane, and then picking up a coach. And after about 12 or 14 hours of travel, although where I was getting to was about an hour and a half flight away, it took me that type of time to get there, I end up in a place called Ahus in Denmark, which is the second largest city in Denmark. I've just got off a coach, and the coach driver said, all you need to do is just stand by the bus stop, and you, you know, that will take you to the place you're staying. And I look at the, the, uh, I look at the bus stop, and I look at the instructions I've got, I thought, this didn't look right. And within a split second, genuinely, no more than 10 or 15 seconds of getting off the bus, looking at that, just looking at my phone, thinking, a young girl comes up to me, it's absolutely true, and she says, um, excuse me, but I think God has told me that I need to speak to you. And I say, really? What's she after? She said, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think you've got a problem. And I said, I don't think I have. I don't know what I've got at all. Now she said, God's, God's told me that I need to speak to you. And uh, you've got a problem. I said, right, okay. Um, she said, well, what, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, all I'm doing is I'm stopping at this particular place and uh, you know, I've just got to get a bus there, that's it. And she takes one look and says, well, you're not going to get the bus from here. This is completely the wrong bus stop. You, you, know, you can stay here for the next three days, you're never going to get where you want to get to. So she said, look, you know, God's really spoken to me about this. I'll, I'll sort it out for you. So I'm in the middle of the city. I'm quite tired. I'm not really worried. I'm not at all concerned. She goes off. She gets the right bus for me. She takes me to the bus stop. She says, I really feel that I need to, to come on the journey. You know, I say, no, no, no. no I, I really think this is a God thing I need to be with you. So she gets on the bus with me. I'm sitting on the bus. It turns out to be about a 50-minute journey, which I thought was going to be about 15. We get off the bus. Just as I'm getting off the bus, my phone crashes. I've got no signal on my phone at all. Batteries run out. And she then looks at Google Maps and says, "Look." And we were in the middle of nowhere, in, a, in an industrial estate. There was no residential area, and we just did not know what we were doing. Got off the bus, and. Um, she got into Google, Google Maps and said, I'm going to come with you all the way. And she literally walked with me for about another 10 or 15 minutes, walked me exactly to the place where I needed to go. And I just got stuck. And, and during the journey, I've been chatting to her. She told me that she was uh, a training nurse, that she'd given that up to go to the theological college, that she was really concentrating on trying to hear the Holy Spirit and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And, and she felt that God had just asked her to do this for me. And uh, lo and behold, she took me there. I introduced her to the people I was staying with. She went off. I'd, I'd exchanged texts with her. A couple of days later, I was just dropping her text and saying, thank you so much. You just went so far beyond what you did. And she sent me a text back saying, no, it's me that needs to thank you. I was having a dreadful day. And actually what you shared with me on the bus, what we spoke about, just confirmed that God has got plans, has got purposes for my life. And uh, it was just great that I responded to that. Now, I didn't even know 
summer and looked it, but I, I didn't know. God provided before I even knew that I had a need. And that's the God that we serve. Now, I'm really conscious when we talk about God providing, that we're right in the middle of the cost of living crisis. I'm really conscious that some people are making decisions about whether they can, well, they're not going to be heating the house today, but you know what I mean? It's fuel or food for some people, isn't it? And it's easy to stand up and say, oh, don't worry about it. God will provide. But on the authority of Scripture, on the words of Jesus, Jesus is actually saying to us, look, this is your heavenly Father's responsibility. You don't need to worry about these things. If tonight, Linda, you get home, and, and Dan and Tom go up to Matt and say, Dad, we're really, really worried. You know, we've been we've been watching the news and we realise that, that there's a massive cost of living crisis at the moment. We realise that, that people are really struggling and, and actually we're really worried this week that we're gonna have enough food in the house this week. You know, I'm really concerned about it. Matt's immediate response would be, you don't need to worry about that. That's my responsibility. It's my job. I'm your dad. I'm the one that's looking after you. Don't worry about that. For goodness sake, do not worry about that. That's my job. Do you understand what I'm saying? That God, in this sense, is the same as our Heavenly Father. He's actually saying there are certain things that are not your responsibility. They're not your job to worry about. It's actually His job. And God will provide. So that's the first reason Jesus says don't worry. The second one is this. He says, it's actually pointless worry. Can I have the verse please, Ken? Which one of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? What Jesus is saying, it's a bit of a kind of jokey thing he's saying. Which one of you, by worrying, can add a single inch to your height? If you're worried that you're too short, you can worry about it all you like, but the one thing that won't happen is you won't grow an inch at all. That's obvious. Other versions actually say, and they're, they're perhaps a bit better use, they actually says something along the lines of, which one of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? It's absolutely pointless worrying. In fact, the opposite applies, doesn't it? We all know that worry can actually shorten your life. Worry is not good for you. It's really, really pointless. And thinking about it, I think worry is probably the most unproductive sin you can possibly commit. I mean, let's be honest. If you go and rob a bank, at least you've got the money, haven't you? And, and, and I know that loads and loads of sins provide temporary pleasure. You know, you can list the whole lot, and that's why people are attracted to them. Worrying is just complete, but there's no added value whatsoever to worrying. It's totally pointless. And Jesus is a little bit kind of joking. You can't even add an inch to your height. You can't add a second to your lifespan. For goodness sake, it is pointless to worry. And then the third thing that Jesus says, and this is a little bit more serious, is that worry is actually 
Let's see. Can I see next to this? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Jesus is sitting there on this mountain. He's surrounded by the flowers. And he said, look at, it, look at these beautiful flowers that God created. It, they look so gorgeous. Why on earth are you worrying about what you look like? Why are you worrying about what you're doing? I don't want you to worry. Now, I know I've shared this before, but I think it's so important. Worrying is a sin. And it's great to have this lovely picture of Jesus sitting on this mountainside, perhaps rather lovingly, putting his arm around his shoulder, kind of saying, it's going to be all right. Listen to me. Don't worry. That's a great picture, isn't it? But what about the picture of Jesus, rather sternly, looking you in the eye and saying, you, you of little faith. Do you think he eyeballed somebody when he said that on the mountain? You of little faith. Do not worry. Imagine Jesus not just comforting you with his arm on his shoulder, but imagine him pointing his finger and looking you straight in the eye and saying, I've told you, do not worry. You are not meant to worry. There's a, a quote from Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, and he said these words. He said, little faith is not a little fault. Little faith is not a little fault. When Jesus said you are little faith, and he uses that expression quite a bit in Matthew's Gospel, it's not just a throwaway comment. He's actually saying that if you have no faith in these things, you are denying the goodness of God in your life. You are denying God's goodness if you worry about these things. And he then said, look, he talks about the Gentiles or the pagans, people who don't know God. And he's saying, we are not meant to have the same woes as those who don't know God. We've got a loving a generous God, and we should have a greater trust in Him than people who don't know Him. We need to have a light touch on material things and a really strong grip on heavenly things. So we're just going to land this a little bit now and bring this around. I don't want to keep it too long today, so can we just go for the next slide or two? Thanks. And again, thank you. Now, can you go back, sorry? And again, go back, sorry. That's it. So Jesus begins to end it up by this. He's saying, look, I don't want you to worry. But this is what I do want you to do. I want you to replace worry with something that is far more important, something that is far more beneficial for you, and it's a lifestyle that I want you to have. Because Jesus says, after saying, don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about what you drink, don't worry about what you're going to wear, don't worry about what things look like, do not worry as a command as well as a comfort. He says, but this is what I want you to do. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all these things, these things are the food, the drink, the clothes, etc. All of these things that you need, that God knows you need, you'll be given. But what I want you to do and how I want you to live your life is on seeking God's kingdom. On putting that as your number one priority. Seeking God's kingdom is the lens that we should look at everything in our lives through. This is not another priority on top of your busy lives. You might be saying, look, I've got loads of stuff I've got to be doing. And actually, seeking God's kingdom as well is just one thing too many. It's not like that at all. It's not a priority on top of other priorities. It's the lens that we look through. So, if you are called to be a mum or a dad, as you are a parent, and as you look after your kids, you can look after your kids while seeking first the kingdom of God. If you are called to be a student at the moment, you can seek God's kingdom first as you study, as you go to school, as you go to college. If you are in employment, you can seek God's kingdom as you as you serve the people you work for. If you're involved in church life, we should be seeking God's kingdom as we aim to serve in Hope House, as we aim to, uh, to share the gospel in whatever way. We must be seeking God's kingdom first. God isn't saying, look, sell everything, quit your family, live in a monastery. What he's saying is this, we are meant for higher things than just material possessions. We're meant to live at a level above the animals. We have basic needs that God will provide. The God who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, also said, man shall not live by bread alone. And that's the beauty of it. God says, yes, I know you need your food, but that's not all that there is to life. Okay, I'm going to bring this to land with one final point and then we'll wrap up. We're going to have a communion in a moment and I can see it's getting hotter and hotter out there. But I'm going to give you a get out of jail. Alright, just to finish this. Right, just to give you the background to this. I don't know if any of you are fans of uh, Blackadder. It's one of my favourite series, Blackadder. And I personally think when Blackadder goes forth, the last one is probably the best series. Okay, I've got to give you the background. There's a famous episode where Blackadder is court-martialed for shooting Melchit's pigeon, speckled pigeon. Okay? He's taken to court and he's accused, and he did actually do he shot this pigeon. He's taken to court for shooting speckled pigeon. And Melchit condemns him to death. He's going to be shot, okay? So the next scene is this. Blackadder is there, the firing squad are there, and he's about to be executed. So the leader of the firing squad goes up to Blackadder and he says, have you any final requests? And Blackadder, quick enough, I said, oh yeah, I have He said, um, could you leave a little gap in the words, ready, aim, fire? Could you leave a gap between aim and fire? He said, oh, how long? He said, about 40 years. And then the, the, the leader of the execution squad said, I can't do that. He said, the trouble is, he said, I'm a gunner. I, I can't I'll get my words to come out quickly. So he's ready to 
bit of a joke. But this, I'm using this to say that certain people accept that there are certain characteristics about their life. Now, you might not be saying, I'm a gambler. But you might be saying, John, you don't know me. I'm a worrier. Anybody that says, I'm a natural worrier. It's just the way I am. I can't help myself. It's the way God made me. Now, it's not the way God meant me to be, and I don't accept it for one moment. But Jesus actually then says, look, if you think that you're a worrier, I'm going to give you one get-out-of-jail card, and one only. And this is what he says for you. He said, and I've got slide for this, do no, sorry. That's Go back. Let's get to it. No, you're going to have to go back again, so sorry. <laughs> this is frustrating. Sorry, sir. Can you just go through to. Can you go? I need the next slide, please, then. No, and the next one after that. That's it. Thank you. This is you get out of jail. Jesus actually says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus is saying, alright, if you are a worrier, here is your get out of jail card. If you absolutely have to worry, here's the deal. You can worry about today only. You can't worry about what's in the past. You can't keep looking back and have regrets. You're not allowed to do that. Don't worry about what's in the past because you can't change it. Don't wish your life away worrying about the future because tomorrow will take care of itself. If you absolutely have to worry, just worry about today, because today has enough troubles of its own. Now Jesus doesn't want you to worry, but what he is saying, I think, realistically speaking, is this. There may be some concerns that you have about today that are relevant, that he understands, and okay, you need to take life seriously from time to time. But, do not worry about the past, do not worry about the future, because if you constantly are looking back to things that have happened, that you regret, if you're constantly thinking about the future and what's going to be happening, what will happen is you will rob to death of the joy that God wants you to have. Don't live in the past, don't live in the future, live in the present. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up there uh, because it's getting really hot and uh, we are going to take communion in just a moment. Um, but what I want to say is this, that, that as we come to communion, we're going to actually uh, bring it out to you because we've got people queuing up, it's going to get even hotter and what have you, so I've got four people who are going to come in just for a moment and bring the, uh, the elements to you. So we're going to bring the bread and the wine to you. What I'd like to suggest is that, that you take the bread that it's brought and you, you, you 
can just take the bread and eat it as it's given to you. But would you just keep the, the glass of uh, wine, the glass of juice back? And as a, as a church family, we will all drink the communion wine together. Is that okay? Um, what I also want to say, though, is these teachings of Jesus are just basic common sense, aren't they? I love the simplicity of what we've been looking at. Jesus sitting there saying to us, don't worry. God's going to provide for you. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Just trust me. Believe in God. This is a, a really nice message to receive today. But I do also know that certain people are tormented by worry. And God can break through. God can deal with these issues in your life. So just as we, we come into a time of communion, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray particularly that as we take communion, if you've been really troubled by worry in your life, and as you receive communion today, that there will be a breakthrough for you. And as you receive the body and the blood of Jesus, as, as their, their, their sustenance to your body, body as their food to you, that you will receive a touch from God and that he will really miraculously break through in your life uh, to deal with it in areas of worry. So, we're going to read a, a short passage of scripture. If you have a slide, just put the image, please. St. Paul writes to the uh, Church of Corinth and he gives us these instructions about the Lord's Supper. Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken. Do this in remembrance. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What St. Paul is saying there is that as we come to take communion on this really hot Sunday afternoon, could I just ask you to all adopt an attitude of prayer? And as St. Paul told us, can we just examine ourselves? We realise that taking communion is a solemn thing. It's called the sacrament of Holy Communion. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance. And we need to open our hearts and our lives to be able to receive it. If as I've been speaking, you know that 
you perhaps use that expression. You know, I'm just a worrier, I can't help myself. I want to say in the authority of scripture, you can't blame God for making you a worrier. It's not the way he created you. And Jesus is looking you in the eyes today. And he's saying, listen to me. Do not worry. Start putting my kingdom first. Start seeking after me. And I'll look after you in all of these other areas. Jesus might be saying, you need to examine yourself and allow me to deal with your worrying nature. Perhaps you feel your faith is very tiny. Those words of little faith seem to apply to you. As you examine yourself this evening, you just need to come before God and say, Lord, give me more faith. Help me to believe you. Help me to trust you. Help me to know your provision in life. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. We thank you that you love us so much that you allowed your body to be broken on that cross. We thank you for the blood that flows, that washes us of all of sin in our life, washes us clean. We thank you for the cleansing that comes from that sacrifice that you we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that flowed. And as we gather now and receive some bread and some wine in your name, we proclaim that it is your body and your blood that we eat and drink. We don't do this in a frivolous manner. We take this very seriously. We remember what you did for us and we thank you for come before you and we respond to you while saying we've examined ourselves, we've opened our hearts as we take from you will you break into our lives will you deal with us as our new will you draw near to us and help us to draw near to you in a sinful act thank you Lord Jesus bring us together and help us Come up now and just bring out bread and wine. Just remain seated. Let us say, take the bread and eat it as you receive it and, and just hold it. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.